All right, I'm excited to bring this one to you. Uh, this is an interview with a successful jeweler who has been selling online for over a decade. And she very much, story very much parallels mine. She's even in the same city, Brisbane, and uh, kind of started making jewelry as a hobby. And uh, she's been incredibly successful. Her business has gone in a slightly different direction to mine. But I was really excited to chat with her, and it's a great interview talking about how things have changed, like how what it was like starting a business a decade ago versus now, and the different challenges that you have. Uh, you know what's worked for her to grow her business, how she works with her spouse in the business, and uh, also a mental health challenge that she has um, that she talks about in this episode. So we're going to talk a little bit about all of those things, and it's really, really fun. I really enjoyed chatting to Raffaella in this episode. I hope you enjoy it too. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Before we start, I have some news about something really exciting. I hope you may have heard about it by now, because I've probably been talking about it on social media. Um, I say probably because I'm recording this a few weeks before this episode comes out. It's how we, how we roll when we batch content. So it's called The State of Handmade, and it's actually a project I'm doing with the girls from The Business of Making, my other podcast. If you don't know about that, head on over to thebusinessofmaking.com. It's the three of us basically riffing on the handmade business journey uh, every fortnight. But we wanted to dig deeper into the story and into the data and into the community because there's all these myths flying around about, you know, how much money people are making, how much people are working. Is Etsy really the best platform to sell on? How many people are making a full-time living versus having to have other forms of income? What's the most popular niche that people are selling in? You know, which niche are people making more money in? There's so many questions that we wanted to answer and we couldn't find the answers. So we decided to create them or curate them more to the point. So what it is, is is actually a survey and we're trying to make it the biggest survey of the handmade industry that has ever been, but we need your help to make that happen. So head on over to the state of handmade. That's all one word all together, thestateofhandmade.com. And you can be part of the story by submitting your survey. It's not hard. It should only take you like maybe 10 minutes maximum. And not only will it help us um, to, you know, gather as much data as possible, it'll also help you because a lot of the questions we ask might make you think about your priorities and your goals for your business. At least I hope they do. So make sure to head on over to thestateofhandmade.com. Now, of course, we're not just keeping this information to ourselves. We're not like hoarding it. We're sharing it back with the community. So the idea is that once we close the survey, we're going to analyze the data and then we're going to publish the data for everybody, to everybody. So everybody has an idea of what's going on in the handmade community and we'll be talking about our, the results over on the Business of Making podcast in the coming months when we have them. So uh, the survey closes on Valentine's Day, so February 14th, 2020. Please do go do the survey and even more, please share it with your friends, your community, in your Facebook groups, on your Instagram, wherever and wherever uh, you can because we want to get like I said, we want to get 
the biggest cross-section of the handmade community we possibly can, from people who are just starting out to people who've been doing this for 20 years. We want everybody to be part of this story. Uh, and we're actually planning on making it an annual thing if it's successful as well, so we can kind of track the industry over time. Data is really valuable. It helps us all know what's going on and it's going to be really, really fascinating. So please do be part of it. Head on over to thestateofhandmade.com. Hell, even pause this episode, go do the survey and come back. Uh, but don't miss it because it's a great interview. <laughs> uh, and please do share it. Um, there are some, if you head on over to the Business of Making uh, Instagram, you'll find some images there you can steal. Feel free, steal the State of Handmade images that we've got up on there and share them on your own uh, stories or on your own feed and spread the word. We would really, really appreciate it. And we can't wait to get all the data and share it with you as well. All right, let's get into today's episode, my interview with Rafaela from Fifth Heaven Designs. I'm here with Rafaela. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> now your business is called Fifth Heaven Designs, and, which I love, and you have been in business for quite a while now. And when I saw, I, I can't remember how I came across you. It might have been on Etsy or somewhere else, and I was really impressed by um, how well you seem to be doing. And so I invited you to come on the show and share your secrets with us. <laughs> so can you tell us how you got started with your business? Well. Um it's sort of funny. I've, I've always been creative, you know, crafts, drawing, sewing and stuff from a young age. But after high school, I just ended up in admin job after admin job. Some of them were interesting. There were always good bits about them, but it was never something super creative. Um, and then I ended up in one job in particular where we were just a bit overstaffed and then we had one co-worker leave and they're like, surprise, there's going to be a hiring freeze until February. Mm. And it was just all a bit gruesome. And so I ended up having to take some sick leave. While I was off sick, I got bored, as you do. <laughs> and um, I decided I'm going to actually do something instead of just sitting on my butt and watching TV because that's not really a good way to get better. <laughs> <laughs> so I went online I found this book about you know soldering and making jewelry it's just called soldering made simple and I thought yes simple that's what I want <laughs> so I got that I got one of those tiny little blow torches like they use for making desserts in restaurants when they set fire to it um <laughs> I love that <laughs> I got some silver got a few gemstones and yeah started off I, mostly I made stuff for like friends and family initially and I'm hoping that they've all lost them since then because I'm <laughs> very good. <laughs> you know, when you're starting out, you don't have all the tools you need. Mm. You're sort of just making it up as you go along. But eventually I got better and a friend asked me if I'd make a ring for her, so I did. And it actually turned out pretty good, so I thought, hey, I could actually do something with this. This was, you know, a month or so after my first attempts, which mm -hmm. the less said the better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I made a few things. We listed them on Etsy and people started buying and it just sort of snowballed from there. 
That's awesome. It sounds quite similar to my story as well, um, except I did I did a weekend silversmithing course. That's the only training <laughs> I ever did. <laughs> and I don't do gem setting either. Sorry, I love gem <laughs> setting. And it, this it's was 20- learning. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. It was back in, this was 2012 when you first mm-hmm. started? Yeah. yeah. So you, okay. So did you... I assume you went back to work and you were kind of doing this on the side. At what point, or or am I wrong there? Because I was off sick for a while, I actually had that income protection insurance, which um, kicks in after, it was 30 days for me. And it just covers um, 75% or so of your wages Mm -hmm. while you're sick. Um, So, yeah, that was a great help in, like, it let me get back on my feet and, yeah. Um, so you were making jewellery during this time? Yeah, yeah. Once I actually started selling it, I started telling them how much I made and they reduced what they gave me by that. And so I was able to sort of wean myself off that and right. get on to, to making it into a real business. That's so exciting. So how like, how long did it take till you got to the point with sales that you kind of like, oh, this is something serious? Um, it started getting serious about three, three or four months in. Um, at that point, it wasn't enough to, you know, take over from my income protection insurance. Mm. But it was at that point that I was getting about a third of what I made in a month. So mm-hmm. that was enough to sort of look at it and go, hey, this could be an actual thing. That's so awesome. I have a brief question. Do you think it was easier then than it is now to get started? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, Back then there was a lot less competition Mm -hmm. and, you know, even though there was the economic downturn in 2008, things were on the rise and, you know, doing better politically Mm -hmm. and that ties into the economy. So... Like now it's, we sell online, so we sell overseas a lot, um, which means that the American market is a significant part of of why we cater to. And when their politics go a bit off in the deep end, Mm -hmm. it really does have a knock-on effect on sales. Yeah, I agree, and I've definitely found that myself. Um, as as the US has kind of been slightly more destabilized over the last few years, sales. That's have been a good a way of down. putting it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's the uncertainty, and any economic uncertainty does follow through into retail, and we're seeing that now. There seems to be this sort of slow creeping economic kind of downturn happening in Australia and I'm sure a lot of other places too, which does make it a little bit more difficult to get started. It does, especially if you're selling like a luxury item. People are always going to need bread and milk, but they're not always going to need an engagement ring. Most of them hope to only need one once. (laughs) Yes. And two points on that. One, I'm the same because I sell wedding, a lot of wedding rings Mm. and it's that you've got that struggle because you know, when you sell other stuff, uh, fashion jewellery, et cetera, you can build a kind of return customer base of people who love your stuff and they want to collect your stuff. Whereas when you're selling pre- predominantly wedding stuff, you hopefully people only come and shop with you once. So you really need to focus on bringing in new customers. Yeah. Although we, we do get quite a few customers who come back and go, 
help, my husband has lost his wedding ring. We've only been married for three weeks. Can you make me another one? Oh, my God, so true. We we get quite a few of those. I'd imagine you've had had your Mm. share as well. Usually we went... We went on vac- like hun- honeymoon somewhere to the beach, Hawaii or whatever, and he went swimming and it came off in the ocean. <laughs> yep. The beach is a killer for wedding rings. Uh, they, they just don't seem to realise, and I, I think most women do, you mm. take your rings off before you jump in a large body of water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, also guys tend to order their rings a little bit too large at times because they're not used to wearing them. So yeah, that can be a downside as well. Um, and what we're talking about on the economy stuff, I thought that, that was really interesting to me because I started my business in 2008. So it was right mm. before the great kind of Just recession before happened. everything went down. Yeah, yeah. And I somehow still managed to sort of grow a business. So f- I guess for me at that time, it was like, well, if I can do it during this time, surely I can keep it going, you know, pretty yep. much forever. Uh, but it was a different world back then. There was a lot less competition and um, it can really be, was. Yeah, it's a lot more challenging now. And a lot more people, I think, have woken up to the idea of doing this, of like having this crafty hobby business on the side, which is awesome because I think it's a fantastic thing to do but yeah it does make it a little bit more difficult for everybody on the I know I feel like I want to feel yes embrace your creative side go out and make things but please don't make the same things that I do make something else (laughs) (laughs) that's so true and it's true but it's also important like my business really exploded when I like discovered a niche, a, a mm. very small tiny I call it a micro niche, a really specific type of jewelry that very few other people were making, yeah. and that's why people were coming to me because I was making something a little bit different exactly we We have that ourselves a bit, although we've we've got a couple of different areas that we focus on mm-hmm. um, but one of the main things was, for example um interesting but affordable engagement rings silver nice interesting gemstones that aren't diamonds you know something with a vivid Mm -hmm. pop of color that's the sort of thing which really helped our business grow um we were getting just a lot of customers who they were just starting out you know they the what was it that they say something about how you're meant to spend four months salary on a ring. Yes. They were not in a place to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, some of them have actually come back, you know, a few years later to go, we're ready to upgrade our rings. Can you make this for us in gold or whatnot? Mm. Or can you make it with this other fancy stone that's more expensive? So I think that's really interesting and that's a great niche is sort of the, you know, the younger couples that I guess sort of hippie bohemian style people who aren't so caught up with worrying about having a diamond um, (laughs) as for an engagement ring. Yes. Technically we we sort of market it as alternative, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot more mainstream than it used to be and calling it alternative doesn't quite fit anymore, but Mm. it's a marketing term. So yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. And so and what I also find interesting about that, if like if, if everybody, you know, goes and has a look at your shop, which I hope they do um, after this podcast, is that those rings, like the rings that you're marketing as an engagement ring, someone else could market them just as a fashion ring, you yes. know, but you've chosen that way of marketing them um, because that kind of brings you into a whole new niche of potential customers. Was that a deliberate decision or did it kind of happen? Um. You know, 
I I think it sort of started to happen and then we just really leaned into it. <laughs> mm. I think, yeah, because I think that's so interesting, this idea that two people might be making similar products, but the way that you title it and market it and write about it can actually influence, you know, how people are finding you. If someone's such engagement so brings, they're going to show up. Yes. Mm. So that's, I think, something for everybody listening to think about when you are, you know, if you think like, oh, well, my stuff's, you know, not that unique or think about how you can try to aim for a particular niche in the marketplace through that sort of thing. Yes. Um, that can really help you be more successful. So you say we, I believe you have at least one employee now. Oh, um, technically we're... I mean, we're married, so she's not my employee. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> she, likes, well, yeah. <laughs> she likes to think she's the boss and I I just sort of go, yes, boss, and get on with it. <laughs> Nick says yes, dear, to me. That's what I <laughs> yes, dear, I'll get right on that, dear. <laughs> I, I get the yes, dear, get back to work. Like, okay. <laughs> so how long has she been working with you in the business? Uh, since it started, oh, awesome. she's always been doing the photography and which is great because I'm terrible at photos. <laughs> I just, I can't take a photo with a real camera to save my life. Like we've got <laughs> a big fancy digital camera for all the photos. And when I touch it, everything is blurry as hell. <laughs> um, so anytime I have something to photograph, I just take it in, drop it on the bit of bench where she does her photos and go, something for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? And um, so how else do you kind of split the, the work? Does she work full-time in the business as well? Uh, she works part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, she does the photography. She does the marketing. Um, she writes up the stuff on the website, you know, telling people mm-hmm. about what this is, what that is, random interesting facts about this gemstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does that kind of thing. I do all the making of stuff and ordering and boring bill paying. <laughs> <laughs> and designing, I would assume, as well. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She'll suggest things to me every so often, like she'll say, do something with a green sapphire um you know do something Mm. with this do that do this but i'm the one who ends up going outside into the workshop and making it (laughs) uh that's awesome um as someone who works with their spouse as well yeah i am i'm fully behind that and i i kind of wish everybody had the opportunity to do that because i think it's the best thing ever i really enjoy it i think it's the sort of thing that will either make or break couples though some Mm. Some find that they're not quite as um, compatible mm-hmm. in the minute when they're working, when they're stressed. That's yes. that's when it comes down to it. And some people find that they're all the better for spending eight hours a day away from each other. <laughs> very true, very true. So how do you, do you did you have very kind of... Um, delineated tasks from the beginning or did it sort of Um, cross over and you worked out who did what better and just let's pass that on to the other person sort of thing well she was always better at the photos Mm -hmm. she also had an interest in photography you know long before this came along right so that was a natural area to gently nudge her into taking over um whereas i tended to always make all the jewelry um 
it helps for that that I have you know very steady hands so nothing wibble wobbles nothing Mm. falls in that while I'm working so um also I'm terrible with SEO right so that's another one where it's like Jenna do you want to do this bit for me thank you (laughs) but I think that's smart it's knowing what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are and trying to get help to do those things that you're not so good at yeah it's it's one of those things it's great when you have different strengths and weaknesses and together you can pull off being a whole functional person mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it it's, yeah. it's definitely how I feel sometimes so the, the two of us are very much a unit and we have our, our particular strengths and weaknesses that usually yep. complement each other thankfully of course one of the main things you need is communication Oh, yeah. You can't just assume that because you know something, they know it. Of course they know it. They were there, weren't they? It's like, uh, you better make sure you're on the same page just in case. So we have, we've got a program on our phones, Evernote. Yes. Um, That way we can make lists. She can add things to it for me to do. I can add things that I need her to do. And that way we make sure that we're not like missing or doubling up on things. That's really clever. Um, Nick and I have like a weekly meeting where we sort of go through all the jobs for the yeah. for the week and who needs to do what. So yeah, I like that system. It's a great idea. Do you want to learn how to sell more online? I have a free video workshop just for you. It's called the 10 Essential Keys to Successfully Sell Handmade Products Online and it'll take you through the absolute key factors that will help you to unlock the door of successful online selling. To get access to it right now for free, head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash 10. That's createandthrive.com forward slash one zero. So what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome so far in your business? Ooh, um, probably it's a mix between getting the marketing right, um, which admittedly I was able to pawn most of that off on poor Jenna. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is keeping on on track, on target. Um, I have... I was diagnosed with Asperger's a while ago, um, which didn't surprise me at all when I found (laughs) out. I I was actually only diagnosed after I went off work sick and that was when, you know, you get all these coping mechanisms and then they sort of start to slide when you get sick. Mm -hmm. And since then um, I realised that I can have issues with getting very easily distracted so I have to work on that and not not let things slip. Another thing that Evernote is great for, if I have lists, I can follow that and I don't mm. think, oh, yeah, I've done that and then just mentally skip right over it without doing anything. Yes. So that helps. Definitely. And have you found that you've altered the way that you work, like now that you're aware of that, um, about yourself um, or is yes. it just kind of explained everything that was already the way it was it, <laughs> it's explained I mean. a great deal um <laughs> I think having that insight has helped me to find better coping mechanisms mm. um like 
sometimes I have issues with with keeping track of time. So um, to help with that, because people say, oh, just look at the clock every so often. That doesn't help me. I'm not going to know to look at the clock. Who remembers to look at the clock? (laughs) I know. Um, So instead I'll, for example, I'll have a short playlist on my phone of music. It'll be Mm -hmm. 30 minutes or so. And that gives me long enough to do the task and the music stops and then I have to reevaluate what's next, what do I do now. Um, Alternatively, I might have a television show on in the background, just something Mm -hmm. that I've watched before. So it's you know, it lets me keep sort of track of time passing better than than just in my own head with silence, which never, never worked for me. <laughs> That's such a great trick with the playlist. I love that idea. Um, I tend to use like a timer if I, mm. if I, if I know that I've got to really focus because if, yep. I, if I just leave myself open to like, oh, I can work for the next four hours. Uh, yeah, you will work for the next four hours, but I you will. won't necessarily get everything done. Exactly. <laughs> I'll like go off on a tangent. I'm like, oh, this job will lead to an idea and then I'll go off to that idea and then I'll be like, oh, wait a minute, what was I supposed to be doing again? And then come back to, yeah. So those things are very familiar to me, having the lists and having a timer and stuff like that. It definitely Uh, helps. I think having having some either music or television on in the background also helps me sort of not get distracted because there's something just there for the sort of back end of my brain to go, oh, yeah, la, 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 paying attention really paying attention and it doesn't give me time to think things that will that will have me going off and forgetting what I'm doing you know when you get that great idea to just do this one thing don't do that one thing (laughs) write it down do it later (laughs) yep (laughs) capture it somewhere uh definitely don't don't let it just fly away though because then you're then you're like damn what was that awesome idea I had yeah it's a fine line to walk So what would you say conversely has been one of the most kind of exciting things that's happened to you because of this, this business that you've created? Um, I'd say that just being able to, to work from home and, you know, not having the stress of, of an outside employer, that Mm. is probably the most exciting thing to me. (laughs) I hear it's a lot more responsibility being your own boss and uh, I'm not fond of tax time. I don't mind paying the taxes. I just mm. doing the numbers is just like, oh, God, where's my accountant? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There, there's good things and bad things about everything, but all in all, this is much better for me than than my office jobs and admin work ever was. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you 100%. Um, I, the, I feel like I'm unemployable now. The idea of going back and working for someone else Absolutely. really is a bad idea. <laughs> I'm so used to being my own boss and controlling my own time that the idea yep. of somebody else telling me what to do when is just great to me. And you, you find you'll be way too inclined to snap. You're not the boss of me and it's like, oh, actually you are. <laughs> Damn. And they'll go, no, you're right. I'm not the boss of you. There's the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but something I found, and I'm curious uh, to ask you mm. if you feel the same way, is I actually find being self-employed, I feel way safer and more secure than I did having a job. I have to say, overall, I agree with you. Um, like, there might be a few moments where you're stuck wondering what you're doing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those 3am bad thoughts where you're like, no, just go back to sleep. Don't think about this. But, you know, it's every so often when there's, you know, a significant downturn with the market, usually due to Mm. American politics, I do get a little bit worried, but I'm not as worried as I ever was when I had, when I had to be responsible, you know, answering to someone else, doing what they want on their schedule. Mm. And sometimes when they didn't give you the, what you needed to do the task and they expected magic to happen anyway. And it's just, at least when you're the boss of you, you can mitigate a lot of that yourself. You don't mm. have to, to worry about someone else's unrealistic expectations. You can use your own unrealistic expectations. <laughs> so just as an aside, because I forgot to ask you this earlier, mm. is your jewellery your sole source of income with your business or do you do other things like teaching and things like that? Uh, no, it's it's the only thing we do at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um I'm honestly not sure how good of a teacher I would be at this. I used to be great at training people in in all my admin jobs, you know, training new hires to do what I did. But I find with jewellery making, I have a bit of a tendency to be like, no, just give it here, I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not great for teaching. Um, I I will be on jewellery forums and stuff uh, on Reddit and others. And if people are asking for help, I'll be happy to explain to them in text how to do something Mm. or, like, send a photo of how to do it. But I think in person I would not be as good a teacher as I used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. And is that the way you want to keep going moving forward is just focusing on selling online Uh, or do you wholesale or sell at markets or do you want to be doing any of those things? We used to do a bit of wholesale. Um, the businesses we used to wholesale to, I think they've mostly had to had to pack up shop because mm. they were actual retail locations in, in Melbourne and in one in Sydney. We had some overseas as well, but I don't think they lasted. Um, mm. it, it's very much harder being a, a retail business for the shop front. You're reliant on, on the flow of traffic if you're not online. Um, I find online is actually safer unless for a luxury item anyway. Mm. If you're like a cafe, then you want all that foot traffic. You don't want to deal with online. (laughs) But but with this sort of business, it's a bit different. And I, I wouldn't want to have to rely on getting people to come and visit me in person. Mm -hmm. I don't like to go out shopping in person. I want to, I want to shop online and have everything just dropped off at my door. (laughs) So (laughs) I have to imagine there's a lot of people who feel the same way. Um, Do you watch Gruen by any chance? Sorry, what's that? Uh, Do you watch Gruen on the ABC by any chance? Uh, No. no. So there's a show on uh, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation Mm -hmm. called Gruen. It's um, a show where they, it's kind of a comedy panel sort of thing where they analyse advertising. And there was one recently where they, every month, every week they get two advertising companies in. This sounds so boring, but it's actually <laughs> really fascinating. They get two advertising. It's, it's hosted by a comic, so he makes it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, two advertising companies in to do what they call a pitch. They create an ad to try to convince us of something. And yep. one recently was one ad was convince people to sell, like to shop online exclusively. And the other one was convince people to stop shopping online and shop in retail shops mm-hmm. instead. And the one that was to convince people to shop online, it, it 
focused on that exact issue, the frustration mm. of ha- what having to do with other people yeah. and going to a shop and them not having, not having exactly what you want or not having it in stock or, you know, having something not quite right. Yeah. yeah so all of those sorts of issues that crop up when you're, you know, when you go to the mall or whatever, yeah. whereas when you're online, you just click away and go find the thing you want. Yeah. That I find um, it's, with online selling, it also gives us the freedom where we don't have to make up a huge amount of stock ahead of time. You know, yes. we don't have to have six of these in size five, six in size seven, six in size eight, couple in size nine, and so on. We're we're not sort of tied by what we can physically have in stock at any time. We're, we're made to order. You know, custom comes along, says, "I want this in a size eight point seven five," and we go, "Okay, can do." We make it. Yeah. Um, and for retail shops and markets, that just doesn't work. There's no way you can work fast enough to make it for them on the spot like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you do want to do markets, you need to have so much stock and then you have to be able to keep an eye on things and make cash and, you know, communicate with your customers there while also keeping an eye on everything so that someone doesn't come along and just walk off with a bracelet. So mm. it's, I, I do find online shopping uh, as a retailer is way better for that than, than in-person stuff. That's so interesting. And I'm exactly the same. You know, everything we do is made to order. It keeps all the overheads down. Um, it so I, does. Yeah. Um, I actually interviewed, I'm not sure if her interview is going to be before or after yours, uh, mm. but she is a jeweler who, doesn't even have an online presence. She has a shop in the Adelaide Hills that has been very successful over Mm. the last decade. But her point of difference is that pretty much their majority is high-end custom work. Yeah. So she's in a tourist area and, you know, a lot of her work comes from word of mouth and she makes a lot of like uh, custom high-end engagement rings, wedding rings, that sort of stuff. And that's been very successful for her. And now she's thinking or planning on expanding to online. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's really interesting that that sort of uh, brick and mortar business can still survive, but it's, it's different. You know, you, I think it's much more difficult to survive as a jeweler if you're just selling sort of, I think so. um, I think she's one of those, um, one of those, Honestly, I think she's one of those success stories which you you hear about. You don't hear about the ones that had to fold within a year mm. because they didn't have enough traffic. It's so. Yeah, and she started, you know, a decade ago in a small town where there wasn't any competition and, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So there Online shopping wasn't that. as big then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if you can build up a customer base that stays loyal to you, great, but yeah, it can be a lot more challenging and obviously a lot more expensive when you have yes. an actual space that you have to pay for. The insurance costs for an actual business, um, like an actual storefront location, mm. they're painful. I've, I did look into it briefly mm-hmm. and then I sort of squeaked and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really important for, for makers who do sell via wholesale. You know, you hear people go, oh, I'm only getting half of what I could get selling online, which is true. But you've got to remember the sort of ridiculous overheads that these retailers have to pay. Yes. And I think they're not looking at the big picture. You're getting half of what you'd get for it if you sold it online, but half of something is better than all of nothing. Yes. And you're not doing the work to market it and, 
you know, pack it up and ship it and all that sort of, that's a lot of extra work you're saving. So it's kind of, you know, looking at it that way, I think's much wiser. Yes. Wholesale is not bad. Being the sort of ones where it's on commission only, that can, um, you know, where you are sending off to a gallery and if it sells, they'll pay you. If not, that's not mm. not something that we'd really be interested in. We're always happy with wholesale. Yeah, for sure. So what about the rest of your life? What is a kind of a typical working day or working week look like? How do you organise your time? Uh, generally, we will work out you know, we'll look at our order list, see what has to go out when, what date, um, and then we'll make up our our work list in Evernote. Um, I say we, but Jenna's the one who does that because she's much more organised than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at the moment we're, we're usually having pickups, you know, two or three days a week. With for the, That's for our overseas customers. Um, we... I'll ha- I'll have a making day where I make the bulk of everything, get about half the polishing done, and then the day after that is a mailing day. Mm-hmm. So on the mailing day, I will, you know, nip out, polish everything, do any engraving that needs doing, set stones. Then I bring it all in, we pack it up, and we have it usually ready at around two thirty for the courier. Maybe at two forty-five if we're running a wee bit late. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't actually stop and have breakfast in the morning. I just I get my coffee. I answer any urgent messages while I drink my coffee and then it's out to work. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I'll be out until 5 or 7 on a making day. It, it really depends on how busy we are. But mm. yeah, as we're coming into November, December, I'm finding I'm out later and later each <laughs> day. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I do get to stop during the day, come in, have a coffee around lunchtime, have some sort of snack. So it's, it's not like I'm just working nonstop, but once I do that, it's back out, finish making everything, come in. And on the mate, the mailing days after I get everything packaged and sent, that's when I usually go out and I'll make anything that's for, you know, that's quick and easy that I can make later in the day when I don't need my brain as much. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> and when it comes to um, like hobbies and things like that, do you, do you take weekends? Do you take time off? Do you, do you have other sort of outside of your work hobbies and things that you spend time on? I do. Um, on the weekends, we like to usually go by bike somewhere that's, you know, nice and scenic ideally with birds mm-hmm. um we quite like going to minipi where there's it's there's uh wetlands and there's crows and pelicans and all sorts of birds it's usually some rude magpies <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah generally because i'm in the workshop hunched over the bench at, at least you know four or five days a week um when I'm not working, I like to either go out on a bike ride and, you know, get some air or I'll do gardening. I love mm-hmm. my garden. I didn't mm-hmm. used to be much of a gardener when I was young. It was like this boring thing that my mom did. <laughs> but um, now that I have my own home and 
it turns out I'm better at gardening than I thought. <laughs> awesome. So that's what usually occupies me when I'm not not working. And I like to read. Yes, me too. I spend a lot of time on my Kindle. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. Online books, you know, being able to just go online, grab your book, download it, so much easier. And you can carry so much more on one device. <laughs> Not like back in the days, you know, when if you're going on a car trip that's three hours with your parents, you're like, okay, I better take these three books because I'll be gone a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. And I, I, do, I do say, though, that if, if the Kindle existed back in 2008, I don't know if I ever would have started my business because <laughs> I've always been such a voracious reader, but I've had limits, you know. Yeah. There's no limits now. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go out to a shop to get that book you want. No, or the library. I can just, like, finish one, click, get another, click. Get another. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit bad. It's but not good yeah. if you're addicted. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So we've got to make that creative time as well. Yeah. So what sort of – what? What sort of marketing do you do? What's sort of the, the main way people find you? Um, okay, so Jenna does most of the marketing, mm-hmm. but from what I understand, social media has been one of our biggest things. Getting out there on mostly on Facebook, some on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, usually um, we, we do get quite a few customers coming from there, going to our Etsy or going to our private website. Um, So, yeah, I think that's probably been the best marketing thing. Mm -hmm. And I know you were saying SEO is not your thing, but is it it something that's been important to bring customers to you? It has been very important, yes. If I didn't have Jenna to do that, I would probably not be nearly as successful as I am because it's – you know, people think, oh, it's just typing some words onto a computer, but it's not. It's research, it's digging around, it's looking mm. at competitors, it's working out, you know, all the different things that people are likely to look for or, you know, working out what to and what not to say. Yes, absolutely. So do you, where do you see yourself long-term? Is this something you can kind of see yourself doing for the next few decades? I hope so. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, as long as the market allows. I, I don't have any plans to, you know, just shut up shop and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do want to get into, like, we're working on getting away from some of the more basic silver stuff and going for, for more, um, you know, interesting gemstones, more gold, um, so I can see our exact product line changing, but mm-hmm. hopefully we want to still be going strong in 20 years. That's awesome. And have you ever done any classes or is this you're completely self-taught? Uh, completely self-taught. I got a book and I went from there. Um, I've, I've always been pretty good at, you know, just learning out of books in school and after that. Um, I was I was always pretty good with books and not having to be a visual learner, um, mm. but I know that a lot of people out there are. I've heard that they've that a lot of them will like go on YouTube, look at mm. tutorials there, and there's so much more information out there than there used to be. Oh yeah, so 
and you know most jewelers are a pretty friendly bunch and there's so many of them willing to put up little tutorials this is how I do this this is how I do that which is actually really helpful I've used them a couple of times when I can't quite figure out the trick to something Mm. so it's so true I know because Nick makes pretty much all actually all of our rings now and Mm. has for years and uh, he was on YouTube recently kind of like, is there a better way to do this? Can, you know, how can yep. I change this technique a little bit and sort of was going through videos and found a whole bunch of stuff. So it's, it's amazing what's out there now. Um, yes. It's, so, mu- it's so, so much easier than ever before just to, to pick up a skill and, and, you know, get a, watch a YouTube video and figure it out, which is really exciting. Yes. And it's interesting, like there'll be people all over the world who, you know, they just happen to know this cool thing and they want you to know it too. And it's like, Thanks, overseas dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so did you happen to bring a quote today that inspires or motivates you? Uh, I did, actually. It's from Eartha Kitt, who I always liked her music as a, when I was young, and she also played the villain in this My Little Pony movie I loved when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I clearly had a big thing for Eartha Kitt going way back. Um, the quote is... I'm learning all the time and my tombstone will be my diploma. Basically, you know, don't stop. Yeah. Don't stop learning. Don't stop moving forward. I love that. That's great. She was Catwoman too, wasn't she, in the original Batman? (laughs) She she was technically the second Catwoman, but she's always the Catwoman. She's the first one I saw in the old Batman series, which I loved as a three-year-old, I'm told. I used to run around the house going, no, 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 (laughs) Batman. And I was awesome. never allowed to forget it. <laughs> no, parents are good for that sort of thing. I used no, to, um, apparently I used to jump up and down along with Astro Boy and you know, <laughs> sing the song. That was yep. my three or four-year-old uh, show of choice. So there you go. Oh, um, you had good taste too. I think so. <laughs> Raphael, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking all about your journey. It's been a pleasure. Where can people go to find your work? Uh, we're at www.fifthheaven.com.au and we're also on Etsy just under the shop name Fifth Heaven. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed recording it. And as I said, if you haven't already, go listen to episode 214 where I talk to Shannon Cornish who has a traditional brick and mortar jewellery shop and she is a traditionally trained jeweller, apprentice trained jeweler and it's really interesting to listen to both of these uh, interviews back to back and look at the contrasts and the comparison and what's the same and what's different and uh, they've both been in business for over a decade so that's kind of why I brought them to you uh, at the beginning of a new decade so you can have an idea of where you could possibly be at the end of the 2020s that's pretty exciting right Uh, but we want to know where you are now so if you haven't already, please go do the State of Handmade survey, thestateofhandmade.com. It'll take you about 10 minutes. It's going to be huge. It's going to be so exciting. We can't wait to share the data with the community. And we want your your part of it. And I probably should have mentioned at the beginning, it's completely anonymous. So we, we collect no personal information from you whatsoever. Um, we just want to know the truth. We want to know the reality of what's happening in your business. So there is an option that's completely separate that you can sign up to have the information emailed to you when it's published but the two things are completely separate so there's no connection between your personal data and the anonymous survey information that you're going to be sharing with us but please do be part of the story 
We need you. We need your help and support and your information to make this really, really valuable for the whole handmade community. So that's thestateofhandmade.com. And uh, we are closing the survey on the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. So you still have a couple of weeks to get it done and share it with your communities. Thank you very, very much to those of you who've already done it and those of you who are going to go do it right now. I really appreciate it. I'll be back again next week, as always, with another episode of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.